Okay, friends, and the story begins. We are on page 21. We are rounding up the Ketoret section, the section of the incense, the preliminary part of davening. And we do this by reciting several verses. We recite three verses here. Excerpts from the book of Psalms from Tehillim. Page 21, write the second paragraph. It's actually nine verses. It's three verses said three times each. The source of these three verses, let's quickly read them in English, and then we'll go and discuss the history behind it as well as the context and uh, what's going on here. So we say three times, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold forever. Then we say three, three times, Lord of hosts, happy is the man who trusts in you. Lord, deliver us. May the king answer us on the day we call. The Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem version of the Talmud, there's two versions of the Talmud. There's the, in general, when we quote Talmud, when you hear a rabbi or anybody say Talmud, by default, they're referring to the Babylonian Talmud. Unless they specifically say the Jerusalem version of the Talmud, which predated it about 100 years. The Jerusalem Talmud says, um, how important it is to recite these verses, how impactful it could be. And Kabbalists take it a step further, particularly the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, and said that these verses need to be recited specifically after the Ketorot, specifically after the incense, suggesting that there's a connection. What's fascinating about the Siddur, taking a step back here, the layers and layers of history. Because the sitter throughout history, up until the past uh, maybe several hundred years, maybe even less, the, hist the, the, the sitter has been an ongoing project. Right? The Bible was not an ongoing project. At some point, there's no more prophets, and this is the Bible. These are the 24 books of the Bible. This is the Mishnah. This is the Talmud, right? Things are kind of concrete. But the Siddur has been an ongoing project. There is the bare bones of the Siddur that people used to pray with, which is the most basic biblically or uh, uh, required prayers. The blessings, the Shema, the Amida. But then there's been other parts uh, uh, of prayer. Um, we say in Hebrew, piyutim, haims. We say haims songs, uh, preliminary stuff such as the Corbinot, stuff like that, that have been kind of added throughout history. So, so did you say hymns or hymns? Hymns. I don't know. I just... Oh, hymns. 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 Okay. I tell you, my Hebrew is better than my English. <laughs> H-Y-M-S, no? H-Y-M-N. H-Y-M-N. Okay. It, it looks N... like hymens, but it's hymns. Yeah, exactly. Him, hymnes. Him, hymns. Okay. <laughs> so the, the, the Arizal, the Isaac Luria, whom our sitter that we're using now is actually based on, um, the Chabad sitter is based on the tradition of the Arizal, as well as the Sephardic sitter as well, uh, which follows the Kabbalistic tradition of the Arizal. And he says to recite these verses following the korbanot, the offerings in the ketoret, the incense section. Why? What is the connection? 
Well, what are the themes of these verses? God is our stronghold. Happy is the person who trusts in God. God answer us on the day that we call. The theme here is trust in God. Betachon. The Hebrew word for trust is betachon. Betachon in modern Hebrew, in Ivrit. Betachon means security. Right? Here we have a, you have a sign that says security cameras, right? For security, betachon in Israel. Because betachon, trust in God, means that you are, you feel secure. You feel safe. And these verses are expressing our betachon in God. What are we trusting in? Well, theoretically, we shouldn't have to recite the verses and Talmudic teachings about the korbanot, the offerings and the incense. We should actually be performing them. But there's one small problem. We can't. There happens to be a temple that was kind of destroyed. We can't do it. We can't do these offerings. The best we can do is learn about it and talk about it, which in some ways is better. You could talk about it anywhere. You can't perform it anywhere, right? Anybody could talk about it. Not everybody can perform it. Fine. It has the, its advantages, right? Exile has its advantages. But the fact is we're in exile. We don't have the bait to make this. Our service to God is limited. Since the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, the face of Judaism has changed. The essence of Judaism has not changed. The Torah is the same, but the face has changed. How it looks changed. Judaism centered around the temple. It now centers around <coughs> us, a, 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 a more spiritual relationship in many ways, even though the mitzvahs are still practical. So now we have to recite the verses of incense, of offerings, and we have these verses saying that, God, we trust in you. We trust that one day there will be a temple. We could actually perform this. God, we do trust in you we, uh, that you'll answer our prayers. But there's another, there's another um, concept here. We spoke about incense extensively the last two discussions. What does incense represent? The Hebrew word ketoret comes from the Aramaic word katar, which means connect. Incense represents our essential spiritual connection to God. In contrast to offerings and sacrifices, korbanot, which comes from the word karov, close to God. I'm close to God or am I connected with God? Closeness is a feeling. Feelings change. Connection is a reality. And reality doesn't change. In reality, I'm always connected to God. That's represented by the scent, by the smell, by the spiritual component of it. That's essentially what betachon is. That's what trust in God is. That's what feeling secure is. In other words, think about it this way. Why am I secure? We have to, feel, we have to trust in God and feel that we're secure. But let's analyze this for a moment. Why am I secure? What makes me secure? God loves me. Maybe he doesn't love me. <laughs> if I believe that God has emotions, then as much as he can love me, perhaps he could not love me because the emotions are real. The feelings are real. Right? Maybe I did something to kind of damage the love. Okay, God values me. That's even better. An intellectual appreciation, a little bit more stable than love, right? 
well, maybe I did something where God can't find value in me, at least from a conceptual perspective. So then where does true trust come from? Where does true security come from? God is stuck with me. God is stuck with me. Why are your children secure? Why are your children connected with you? Not just because you love them. Not just because you value them. Because they're your children. <laughs> they don't get a choice. So it's not God, you love me, I'm good. It's not God, you value me, I'm good. It's God, you're stuck with me. <laughs> My soul is bounded to you. My soul is a part and parcel with you, is, is a piece of you. That's the ketoret that we described. That's the incense that we described. The incense was the, mo was, was the climax of Yom Kippur, which is the essence of this relationship. The Kohen Gadlo going into the Holy of Holies, having this intimacy with God on behalf of all of the Jewish people. That is true security. If we can access that perspective, I'm very secure. I'm secure in my religion, but I'm secure in every aspect of, of, of life not just my religious life, but every aspect of life, because it spills over. In other words, why should I trust in God? And the, the, the truth is Judaism actually flips the question. It's not that, how is God going to help me? Why should I trust in him? It's the other way around. Trust in him and he will help you. In other words, don't trust in God because you feel it's going to be good. Feel that it's going to be good because you trust in God. You see the difference there? I'm going to repeat that. Don't trust in God because you feel it's going to be good. Feel that it's going to be good because you trust in God. That's how Judaism understands betachon, security. This is the difference between betachon, by the way, trust, and tikva, hope. Hope implies that you're relying on something to redeem you. I'm hopeful because of the situation, right? Trust means there's no redeeming factor here, but I still trust in God. I, I still know and feel that it's going to be okay. Question. What about faith? Is faith the same as trust? Good question. Faith is not the same as, as trust. Faith is a recognition that God exists. It's even a recognition that God is um, relevant. But it doesn't necessarily... Uh, you could believe in God but not feel secure. You could believe that God is relevant, that God is in charge, that God has a plan, but not feel secure. Um, and competent, right? And that's where betachon comes from. Or that's where it comes in. That's where, that's where betachon is relevant. So we actually, we have three things here. We have faith. God exists. God is relevant. God matters. God is the center of existence. Everything revolves around God because he is its creator. Then we have hope, where I have reasons to feel that things will be okay. And then I have bitachon, one reason to feel that everything's going to be okay. Because of whom I trust. Could you say that 
those two sentences again. You said you I should feel it's, okay. feel it's going to be good because you trust in God, not. Okay, don't. I wasn't listening. I don't know. You turn the sentence around. This is the way Judaism looks at it. And this is the way a lot of people look at it, but that's not really what we, Judaism We don't is. trust in God because we feel it's going to be good. We feel okay. it's going to be good because we trust in God. We don't trust in God because we feel it's going to be good. We feel it's going to be good because we trust in God. Okay. In other words, when we, act, when we trust in God, we actually open ourselves up to different blessings. And that's why it's going to be good. We're, we're essentially aligning ourselves to receive these blessings. The Baal Shem Tov said something fascinating. Before I tell you what the Baal Shem Tov said, let me take a step back. There was a book, I think we've quoted it before, called the Chovot Halevavot, which translates as duties of the heart. And there are different sections in this book one of the which are called the gate of trust in Hebrew, Sha'ar HaBetachon. And he's a whole thing, 10 chapters, explaining how to trust in God, what trust in God is. It, it's a very simple read. Um, actually, it's, it's interesting. The, the Hebrew is actually a relatively difficult Hebrew to understand because it's very poetic and it's translated from the original, which was Arabic. But they have it translated in English as well um Kehot, the chabad publication society just put out a new translation about a year or so ago with like a good nice it's actually a really nice book and it talks about how to trust in god and it talks about how trust is essentially aligning ourselves with this feeling of security opening ourselves to blessings which means i feel good because i trust as opposed to trusting just because i feel good and this goes so far to say that the, this was, by the way, written a long time ago, uh, probably eight, nine hundred years ago. The Baal Shem to have said that in heaven, when somebody does something wrong and they go to the heavenly court, they don't get punished. There's no punishments. Well, what do you mean there's no punishments? The Torah is full of punishments. And that's part of our uh, belief system that there's reward and punishment. So the Baal Shem Tov says, no, no, no. In heaven, they don't punish. What they do is they make it more difficult for you to trust in God. And now the natural result is you're going to be open to all sorts of negativity. But were we to have been firm and strong in our trust, simply feeling that life is good, life, things are, I'm going to be okay, think I'll be secure. And the reason is because the Ketoret, them connected with God, I'm part and parcel with him. Does God love me? Hopefully. Does he value me? Hopefully. But there's one thing that's for sure. He stuck with me. Not going on and not going anywhere. And we have three verses that we recite following the Ketoret to express this. Verse number one. From the book of Psalms, the Lord of hosts is with us. We say this three times. We've got to drill it in. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold forever. 
It's only one thing that makes me strong. That really makes me strong. In the book, Gate of Trust, the Shara B'Tachon, in the introduction, so he says there's different, uh, by, by human, human nature is to turn to things to make us feel secure. I want to feel secure, so I'll try to become financially stable or physically strong, emotionally strong. We're always turning to different things to make us secure. But a chain is as strong as its weakest link. You're only as strong as that thing, whether it be your financial security, your job security, your physical health, your mental health. All of these things can, God forbid, fluctuate, hopefully for the better. And not God forbid, but they can fluctuate for the worse. But if what makes us strong is the provider of financial security, not the financial security stuff, the ultimate provider. If what makes us strong is the ultimate provider of health, mental or physical, then we're truly strong, right? God is our stronghold forever. Take a look at the second verse. Lord of hosts, happy is the man who trusts in you. So commentaries explain that we quote both of these verses because there's two types of trust. There is the reality of trust, of security, sorry, the reality of security, objective reality, I am secure no matter what. Um, now, th there's the subjective reality. Do I believe that? <laughs> Do I believe I'm secure? God is telling us you're secure. Do I believe I'm secure? That's why we have both of these verses. The first verse, God is our stronghold forever. That's just the reality. Do I believe that reality? That's essentially what trust is. That's what betochen is. Do I believe that I'm secure? That's the second verse. Happy is the man who trusts in you. We need both of these. This is a, we, we need to bridge the facts with our feelings, the reality with our perception. The reality, we're secure. Our perception, we've got to feel secure. That's what trust is. It's, it's aligning ourselves with reality. And that's why we say both of these verses. Verse number one, God is our stronghold. Okay, that's the objective truth. But do I feel that? Well, happy is the man who trusts in you. And if we have that perspective, then look at verse number three. Lord, deliver us. May the king answer us on the day that we call. If we call God, he answers us. Because by trusting in him, we've opened a direct pipeline. That's essentially what the Ketorah that we've been discussing is. I'm connected to God. I've tapped in. I'm not just close to God. I don't just value him or love him or appreciate him. I've tapped into him. I've opened that pipeline. Of course, he's going to answer me on the day that we call. How do we get our prayers answered? We have to feel secure. We have to feel connected. We have to, it's not even feeling secure. It's realizing the reality that we are secure and therefore feeling it. This is all encapsulated in these three verses. 
and further unpacked and unraveled as we pray. Because as we pray, we strengthen our faith, we strengthen our sense of connection, we strengthen our bitachon, our sense of security and trust. Then we get to the next verse. Okay, before we get to the next verse, any questions, comments, thoughts, reflections? Okay. Then we get to the next verse. An excerpt from Malachi. In the Hebrew, it says, In English, it says, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem. Sorry. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in the, as in the bygone, the bygone, as in the bygone of years. Once we have trust in God, and why do I trust in God? Because I recognize the reality that I'm totally connected with him. I'm not just close with him, which is dependent on my feelings. I'm connected to him. That's the reality. That's my soul. So now the offerings, the gifts I'm giving to him, the mincha in Hebrew, is pleasant to the Lord. It's pleasant to God. Hasidic uh, philosophy, if you will, teachings, Kabbalistic teachings, talk about the pleasure of God. What does that mean, God has pleasure? We use all sorts of descriptions for God anthropomorphically. The one word I could pronounce that has more than five syllables. <laughs> 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 we we use all these terms anthropomorphically. But what does that mean? Right? God heard my prayers as if he has ears. God has pleasure as it. We spoke about last week, the layers of the soul, the various layers. Right? There's my behavior. Then you dig a little bit deeper. There's my feelings. A little bit deeper, my thought process. A little bit deeper, my drive. All these are layers of a soul. And the more you, right, if you were to offend how I behave, I'll forgive you. But were you to offend how I think or my drive, those are a little bit, the damage is a little bit deeper there. Right? I'll forgive you, but it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt more because it's a deeper part of me. So when we say the pleasure of God, well, imagine I were to invalidate something you take pleasure in. You take deep pleasure in. I don't just mean like ice cream or something you you have a you enjoy, but something you really take, uh, uh, you have a deep pleasure for. Your pleasure is a very deep part of you. Freud believed, and there's something to this, that what drives people are is pleasure. Okay, Judaism will assert that it's more spiritual and refined pleasure that truly drives a person. Otherwise, it's the animal soul drive. Not the divine soul drive, but pleasure is very deep. So when we say the pleasure of God, we're talking about a very deep revelation, a very deep relationship. That's essentially what pleasure means. It's, anthrop it's an anthropomorphic way of describing how deep the connection is. And betachon accesses that trust, feeling secure, essentially feeling connected like the incense that accesses that deep connection as in the days of old and as in the bygone years. 
what that means literally days of old, just like in the days of Moses or in the days of King Solomon, when we were to offer uh, uh, offerings in the temple, but there's a deeper meaning. Just like in the days of old, the spiritual connection we had back then, you may think our spiritual connection has uh, diminished throughout exile, throughout history. We're now in California, 2022. And it's not like it, we we're not like we were in Israel with the temple. No, no, no. It's just as pleasurable to God as in days of old, in bygone years. And he again, translations are a little dangerous, but take a look at the, the Hebrew. Kimei Olam. Which um, they translate as in days of old. But another way to read that is Kimei, like the days, Olam of the world. This this experience, this deep pleasure, this deep connection to God is relevant in this world. It's not just a spiritual thing that we experience in heaven. It's something we experience in this world, right here, 2022. We can have a deep, meaningful, passionate connection to God that is relevant. So relevant that I have nothing to worry about because I just feel so secure. It's relevant now. You know how pleasurable this is to god you know who recognized this moses moses sensed how relevant this this experience is we have a couple of parshas ago i think two parshas ago three parshas ago two parshas ago moses uh, the the torah says that moses was the most humble of people to have graced the earth he's more humble than anybody and commentaries grapple with this. What does that mean he was humble? How could he have been so humble? Rashi says it means he was patient. But what does it mean that he was humble? He spoke to God face to face. He was the leader of the entire Jewish nation. He was the ultimate authority. He escorted us out of Egypt. How is he to remain so humble? But isn't he the one who also told Hashem, why are you picking me? I am a mere mortal, per se. You know, I don't have the you know, capability. The the uh, you know, he almost it, it almost seemed like don't give me the job. Like I'm not up. You know, right? Right. But once you get that job, and you've spoken to God face to face, and you've gotten the Torah, and you you right, it's been a little while, and now you've you've built yourself up in your career, so to speak. How do you retain that humility that you've once had? It, 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 it's actually, a, it's an amazing thing. You know, at the beginning, he was this noble leader. You know, why don't you choose somebody else? Which, by the way, God wasn't pleased with that type of humility before. He said, no, 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 that's not real humility. Humility is take the position and be humble about it. <laughs> and he ended up doing that. How did he retain that humility? So one way to look at it, commentaries explain, is that Moses looked in to the future generations. And he actually looked in our generation. This is what it says. He looked into the generation that proceeded right before the coming of Mashiach. And Moses says, wow. Yes, I saw God face to face. Yes, my generation experienced the giving of the Torah at Sinai, the miracles by the sea, going into Israel, the Beit HaMikdash, they've experienced the fanfare of Judaism. But these people, 
What have they experienced? They're born in 20, they're living in 2022 in a corrupt world where if, if you talk about sacred God, divine values, uh, you, you're, you're ridiculed, you're canceled. <laughs> and, and God and, and Moses is, and they're still maintain, maintaining their values. They're still, ma- because they're essentially connected to God. They're still davening, they're still studying Torah, they're still doing mitzvahs, they're still perpetuating Judaism. Moses was humbled by that. He was humbled by that. He realized how much pleasure God was getting. That, that's, what we, that, that's what I envision here when I'm reading this verse. The offering that we're giving to God, which we can't give the katorahs anymore, the incense, but we can give the spiritual connotation of the incense, the betachon, the essential connection feeling of security because I'm essentially connected, connected, that's going to give God an immense amount of pleasure, which means that's going to help us access a very deep and meaningful revelation and experience of God. Any questions? Comments? Thoughts? No? Okay, that's my story. I'm sticking to it.